This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're going to uh, try and hook up with some uh, old friends and new friends, perhaps, later in today's show. But as we start the hour, I can't tell you who those folks might be because, uh, well, you know how it is. Sometimes things are a little up in the air. We'll see how this evolves. If nobody shows up, we got plenty to talk about. Don't worry about that. So let us commence this program as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question today being the 5th of November. It was on November 5th in 1688 that William of Orange and his army landed in England after being asked by English malcontents to rescue them from the pro-French Catholic policies of James II. James fled in what was known as the Glorious Revolution, and William and his wife Mary became the twin monarchs, William and Mary, for whom America's oldest university uh, is named. Mary, it turns out, was James's daughter. (laughs) Have a nice Father's Day, Pop. On this date in 1862, in the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln removed General George B. McClellan from command of the Army of the Potomac. McClellan was apparently good at building an army, but not so good at putting it to use. Lincoln at one point asked McClellan in writing that if he didn't intend to use the Army of the Potomac, if he couldn't borrow it for a while. McClellan tried getting back at Lincoln by running against him in 1864 in the Democratic ticket. He lost. Speaking of presidential politics, on this date in 1912, Woodrow Wilson was elected the 28th president of the United States. Teddy Roosevelt made a very strong showing as a third-party candidate, but split enough Republican votes away from William Howard Taft to put Wilson in the White House. Four years later, Wilson ran on the election campaign slogan of, He kept us out of war, shortly before he got us into the war. Kind of reminds me of 1964's LBJ, the peace candidate. On the 5th of November in 1913, water was diverted from the Owens Valley on the east slope of the Sierra Mountains and began flowing into water-starved Los Angeles, a scheme described by the History Channel as controversial, visionary, and corrupt. Of course, things haven't changed much in California. We'll have more to say a little bit later in the show about uh, the latest visionary, (laughs) controversial, and corrupt water schemes going on. And although it's not an anniversary for today's date, four score and seven years ago yesterday on the 4th of November, English archaeologist Howard Carter and his workmen discovered a step which led to the tomb of King Tutankhamun, which allows us to do just a wonderful musical segue. Our quote of the day comes from Mark Twain, who once said, Everybody's private motto, It's better to be popular than right. That everybody, of course, does not include Radio Parallax. We'd prefer to be right than popular, although we'd like to be both. Our quote of the day comes from Orson Welles, who once said, I feel I have to protect myself against things, so I'm pretty careful to lose most of them. Our joke of the day is as follows. 
an Irish man went into confession. He told the priest, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. The neighbor girl came over last week and took off all of her clothes. Go on, said the priest. Well, we climbed into bed and rubbed around quite a bit, but that was as far as it went. That's just the same as putting it in, said the priest. I expect you to say ten Hail Marys and to put a twenty-pound note into the poor box on your way out. Man went to the pew, prayed, on his way out, tapped the poor box. Priest looked out and said, I thought I told you I expected a contribution. Well, you did, said the man, and I rubbed the note in the side of the box. And according to you, that's the same as putting it in. Our stat of the day comes from the Public Library of Science, which notes that Americans are far more likely to have tried marijuana or cocaine than people in 16 other countries surveyed, including the Netherlands, France, and Colombia. 42% of Americans say they've tried marijuana at least once, while 16% say they've tried cocaine. In the Netherlands, which has far more lenient drug laws, only 20% say they've tried pot. Let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to popularmechanics.com, it was a good week this week for machines as opposed to humans. Apparently, the U.S. Air Force has published a report which includes a rare reference to robots making the choice to fire weapons without explicit human direction. The Unmanned Aircraft Systems Flight Plan 2009-2047 states that artificial intelligence will be powerful enough in 30 years to allow drones to make snap decisions on their own. One passage, described as notable, says that autonomous unmanned aerial vehicles could launch nuclear strikes. Magazine added that the Pentagon is not obligated to follow the plan of the report. (laughs) Thank God! And acknowledges that the decision to field machines able to, quote, make lethal combat decisions is contingent upon political and military leaders resolving legal and ethical questions, unquote. Adding that that could take much longer than the technical development. On the other hand, it was a bad week last week for mice on an aircraft. After a flight bound for London's Heathrow was ground at JFK in New York when a mouse was spotted scurrying around the cabin. The 300-plus passengers were told to get off the plane and had to wait three hours for a replacement. I must editorialize at this point that for many years I had mice as pets, and I can testify to the fact that a loose mouse can get into some mischief. They are very definitely not capable of bringing down a commercial aircraft. I guess you can file this one in the better safe than sorry category, except uh, if I was waiting on the ground at JFK for three extra hours because of a mouse, I think I'd be calling the FAA. But then after spending 20 hours grounded in JFK Airport because of a thunderstorm, I think one solution is to avoid that airport. And according to The Week magazine, it was an ugly week last week for Santo Gambino of Sicily, who was sentenced to house arrest for illegal dumping. He pleaded with the judge to jail him instead. Gambino explained that at home, he would be subject to his wife's nonstop nagging. 
Reportedly, the judge rejected his request. All right, from the Only in America file, we have this item, which I frankly love. Apparently, wildlife officials in the state of Oregon have enlisted a robotic elk to help them crack down on poaching. Apparently, since 1991, Oregon authorities have employed stationary decoys to catch motorists who shoot from their vehicles, which is not exactly sporting and a misdemeanor. But according to this item, poachers have wised up to that ruse. (laughs) They've taken to looking for movement before they open fire. So, officials recently introduced a $4,000 animatronic elk with a rotating head and tail. Now, dear listener, you might ask, how badly do they need an animatronic elk up in Oregon? I mean, how many citations are going to be issued for a guy shooting a robot? Three? Eleven? Thirty? Well, apparently officials up there have already issued 143 citations. Wildlife official Steve Lane was quoted as saying, It's been a good deterrent as more people have come to realize that it's out there. Frankly, uh, this correspondent is astonished. Well, not really, but I guess partly astonished, I guess somewhat astonished to realize that people shoot at game from their car. But then let's face it, this is the nation that invented the drive-by shooting. It's such a car culture that people don't even want to get out of their car to do the shooting, they just want to drive by. And I guess I'd ask the rhetorical question at this point, how many of those guys shooting at elk from vehicles had Sportsman for Bush bumper stickers? That's a number we we don't think we're going to be able to determine, unfortunately. All right, Only in America File, Part 2. Apparently, Minnesotan Dennis Anderson, age 62, had a blood alcohol level more than three times the legal limit when he crashed his Lazy Boy recliner described as powered by a lawnmower engine and equipped with a stereo system into a parked car near his home. In his defense, Anderson cited extenuating circumstances. The crash, he said, was caused when a girl attempted to board his moving chair. The police chief was apparently unimpressed, saying, the bottom line is doesn't get him off driving while intoxicated. By the way, did you know it's illegal to ride a bicycle intoxicated? Article in the Sacramento Bee last week about that. If you're above the legal limit, they can cite you on a bicycle, although apparently you don't get one point in your driving record as if you're like when you're driving a motor vehicle. And finally, from the only in Texas department, we have the following. Since 2007, Dallas police have ticketed at least 38 motorists for the non-existent crime of, quote, being a non-English speaking driver, unquote. The police chief has promised to investigate, but Glenn White of the Dallas Police Association said the department was overreacting. You go to work every day, he said, and if you make a mistake, you get a colonoscopy from the command staff. You know, I don't think getting reprimanded for writing a ticket for a non-existent crime constitutes a colonoscopy. But I'm sure I've got friends in the medical profession that can arrange one for Glenn White if if he needs one. Sounds like he does, actually. All right, let's do our Attaboy of the Week award. I think this week it has to go to Greg Gordon of the McClatchy Newspapers for his four-part series on Goldman Sachs, which was printed this week. We kind of like the titles uh, on each of the four uh, pieces. The first one was Goldman Reaped Riches, Passed on the Risk. 
Part two was offshore deal was Goldman plated. Bank dumped risky bonds as it fled the subprime market. Part three was bank's latest role, Repo Man. And the fourth part was Goldman made fast money with New Century. Wonderful piece. Certainly want to give an attaboy to the McClatchy chain of newspapers, which operates the Sacramento Bee and numerous other publications across the country. Tough economic times for newspapers. These are one of the few fighting the good fight. So well done, Mr. Gordon. We hope that, uh, you know, we'll be able to get him on this program in the future to talk about this excellent series. On the other hand, the Jackass of the Week Award goes goes to someone whose column appears in, locally in the Sacramento Bee. That would be Rich Lowry of National Review. Lowry is coming down hard on uh, what he describes as Oza- Obama administration pay czar Kenneth Feinberg, who has the gall to dictate that the pay of Wall Street executives not exceed $200,000 a year. Lowry's column notes... Feinberg's crackdown is motivated by the, by the belief that out-of-control compensation rewarded recklessness and caused the financial crisis. Noting, it'd be nice if this were true. Well, Nick, I got some news for you. Lowry says, oh, it's not that simple. By and large, executives, and I want you to listen to this quote, by and large, executives didn't blow up their firms in the hopes of grabbing world-shaking bonuses, then leaving. They blew up their firms because they got caught up in the bubble mentality and thought their risks weren't as dangerous as they proved. Oh, I guess that makes it okay. And no, how this guy manages to continue earning a living by publishing this kind of drivel is is, is a mystery to us. But anyway, he is our jackass of the week. Now, i got to say, we were tempted to give it to Rush Limbaugh for his comment this week that President Obama is immature, inexperienced, and in over his head. We remind you, the source of that quote is Rush Limbaugh. This is just in. Alice Cooper claims Beethoven wasn't that good of a musician. <laughs> kind of like Roger Corman saying, you know, Stanley Kubrick's movies are not that good. Actually, no matter how inane an example we try and pick, I don't think we can top the fact that Rush Limbaugh is accusing someone of being immature and inexperienced and in over his head. By the way, the big fat idiot's going to do a special radio show where he talks to Sacramento next week. I hope some of you uh, will have some questions for him, dear listener. Of course, to do that, you'd actually have to listen to the show, and we, we wouldn't want to wish that on our worst enemy. Chris, I love these Obama critics. They're now seeing that the fact that the Obama girls got the swine flu vaccination, why, they see some favoritism in that. Hard to believe the AP actually covers some of this, quote, criticism, unquote. Seems pretty clear the presidential daughters were not even the first in line to get this vaccination. You know, I'd be more concerned about the kind of favoritism where the company you used to head gets a no-bid contract in Iraq worth billions of dollars. That's the kind of favoritism I think we should be worried about. But that's just one man's opinion, which, by the way, like all the opinions heard on this program, 
does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. Though we'd like to think quite a few of the regions secretly agree with us. By the way, there were were a couple political cartoons this week we really liked. One by Nick Anderson showed Barack Obama with a shovel at the bottom of a crevasse titled Afghan Strategy. Dick Cheney's perch at the top yelling down, Stop dithering in that hole we dug for you! And in the wake of uh, Hamid Karzai's opponent uh, getting him off the hook by withdrawing from the so-called election in Afghanistan, I like this one. A bunch of Afghanis are standing under a sign titled Kabul International Airport. A woman wearing large pearls and a uh, hair with a helmet head is walking through the gate. And guys are saying, hey, Karzai means business. He's brought in Catherine Harris. And uh, it appears that The Week magazine picked up on two questions we posed on last week's program. We asked, how could it be that in America the skepticism on global warming is growing? We did like the summary by TheEconomist.com saying, this may be just one of those debates impervious to facts. Said The Economist, there simply is no scientific doubt that the Earth is getting warmer and that carbon emissions are a factor. Interesting that a lot of major corporations in America have gotten fed up with the fact that uh, the National Chamber of Commerce is... uh, doing its best to sow doubt about, uh, about global warming, and they're withdrawing from the chamber. The, uh, the week also puzzled over the question of whether Obama was becoming Nixonian. Magazine quoted uh, Republican Senator Lamar Alexander, well, he described him as someone who worked for and was appalled by President Nixon. Well, apparently not appalled enough to quit. Writing in politicsdaily.com, Walter Shapiro said, you better have strong evidence of criminal wrongdoing if you're going to play the Nixon card. Noting that when Nixon tried to use the FBI, the IRS, and other agencies against his enemies, he took the presidency to a new low. You know, I don't want these clowns just don't compare Obama to Hitler. Oh, oh wait, wait, they do. In fact, there was a great political cartoon in the, the Columbus Daily Tribune last month which showed an overweight protester holding up that picture of Obama made out to be the Joker. You've seen these at rallies. Reporters asking the woman, so why were you not protesting when Bush was running up the deficit and bailing out the banks? The woman whose t-shirt says Obama equals Hitler on it replies, because Bush was white, duh. Which I think just about sums it up. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Parallax. 